continuing our series through uh, some of the Psalms in this first book of the Psalms. And this morning we are in Psalm number 34. Do you you know what it is to be afraid? Uh, Maybe even to, to be afraid for your life. I'm reminded of a story from the life of David. And you'll remember that David was a man after God's own heart. He was a shepherd boy. And he was the man that God, against all odds and and against outward appearance, he was the man that God has chosen to succeed Saul. Saul was the king of Israel, but Saul was a wicked man. Saul did not have a heart for the Lord. He did not obey the Lord as he ought. So God had determined in his plan to remove Saul and his family from the kingship over Israel and to place David in, in his place. And God sent Samuel, his prophet, to David and, and had him anoint David and tell David, you're going to be the next king. Well, as you can imagine, in the ancient Near East, uh, when a king gets word of the fact that somebody else has been chosen to succeed him uh, and that his family will not uh, continue in succession to reign, Saul did not take very kindly to that. It didn't help that, that Saul's son, the one that should have been the rightful heir to the throne, is, is the closest of, of friends with David. And it didn't help that on top of that, David was successful as a general and he was well loved by the people so that, so that David, as he would go out to war, or come back from war, uh, the people would gather and the, the women would sing, Saul has killed his thousands and David his ten thousands. And you can imagine, right, for, for any, most any person, that's going to rub them the wrong way. And it did for Saul. And Saul, on top of everything else, was a man with a temper. Uh, he was a man that could easily fly off the handle. So David is forced to go on the run from Saul. At first, it's sort of up and down. It's not sure if Saul's going to just make peace with the fact that God has chosen someone else to be king or, or if he's going to try to kill David. And so Jonathan, through uh, some deception and, and trying to feel out his, his father, finds out, no, no, David, Saul, my father, is, is going to try to kill you. He wants you dead. And so although David is the next heir to the throne, uh, although he's been appointed and anointed by God to be the king over God's people, David is forced to go on the run. He's running for his life. He's, he's got to stay one step ahead of Saul and all of his army uh, in order to just spare his life. And you'll remember another story from David. Uh, there was a, a giant, a, a man from uh, the city of Gath named Goliath. And David had killed Goliath. This was one of the first incidents that were introduced in the life of David as a as a young boy. He's he's able by his faith in God and his trust in God to go out and and stand against this giant. He doesn't even take a sword or a spear or any armor. He goes out with a sling and five stones and God gives him the victory over Goliath, who was from Gath. Well, David is on the run one step ahead of Saul all the way and Saul breathing down his neck and and David Uh, for whatever reason, we're not given the reason, decides he needs to go to another place outside of Israel. So he goes to this town of Gath. Now, they didn't have Facebook and didn't have Twitter, so uh, David's face was not plastered all over the place. People probably were not that familiar with what he looked like, and and probably his plan was to go to this city, kind of lay low. Uh, David is not, or or Saul, rather, and his army is not going to just walk into the city of Gath, right? Because they're enemies, uh, so if I can just lay low in the city of Gath, if nobody 
if nobody tells who I am, if nobody recognizes me, I'm going to be okay. But of course, you know that that doesn't happen and that some of the king Achish, some of his men or Abimelech, he's got two different names that are given to him. Uh, they, they make out David. They say, that's David. We remember what he looks like. We've seen him. We've seen him in battle. He's killed hundreds, if not thousands of our men. And he killed, he killed Goliath, our warrior who came from, from our very own city. David panics. He, he, he knows that they've found out who he is and he begins to pray to the Lord and the Lord I believe there's some question on this but I believe the Lord gives him a plan and, and David begins to act insane he allows drool to start coming down on his beard and he he's walking around like he's crazy and he goes to the to the gates of of the city and he begins scratching on the wall and and these men go back to the king and say this is David and 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 they bring David to the king and and the king says look I've got enough insane people. I've got enough crazy people in my army and in my kingdom that you bring me one more. I, I don't need any, anybody else that's crazy. This is not David. This is not the man that killed Goliath. This is not the man who has defeated our armies over and over again. Leave me alone. David then is able to run away. He, he walks away from the king and he, he begins to make his trek toward, toward the cave of Adullam where he could hide out. He could hide from Saul, and now he could hide uh, from, from Achish and, and these men who uh, think that he is David. God delivered David. If you can imagine being in that situation, sometimes I think we read these stories in the Bible, and I've said this before, but we read them as if they're untrue, as if they're fairy tales or a movie that we're watching. You can sort of disassociate yourself from it, but just imagine being David in that moment. Imagine the throb, uh, the, 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 your, the way that your heart would pump and your pulse would be beating. The way that you would just be so weak and with fear that you'd feel like you're about ready to collapse. And now the joy that you would have as you're sort of drifting away and there, there go Abimelech and, and his men and they're, they're out of sight and now I'm going to stop acting crazy and I'm going to take off running and I'm getting out of here. And just imagine as, as, as he's going away, he begins to praise the Lord. Thank you, Lord. You delivered to me. I, I, this poor man cried out to you and you heard me. Not one of my bones has been broken. You've saved me and delivered me. He begins to praise the Lord. David was a, a singer-songwriter. He was a poet. And so... This, this experience just causes him to begin to write and to think uh, in poetic ways and begin to pray to the Lord. And that's what we have here in this psalm. Psalm 34 is the psalm. You can see the inscription there at the beginning of it. It says, of David, or a psalm of David, when he changed his behavior before Abimelech so that he drove him out and he went away. No doubt some of the words of this psalm were coming to David as he's running to the cave of Adullam. And maybe when he gets there in that cave and he finally feels safe and secure, he's able to write down. And this is what we have in Psalm 34. So read with me what David has to say and just put it in that context. He says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall be continually in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and He answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to Him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his trouble. 
the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear Him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in Him. Oh, fear the Lord, you His saints. For those who fear Him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and His ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. In this psalm, we see just lay out the structure a little bit. Again, we we know the context now. The the first uh, three verses are an invitation from David. And isn't this the response of God's people? When God has blessed you, when God has delivered you, when God has saved you, what is the right response? The right response is to praise the Lord. And these first three verses are just simply David saying, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to praise the Lord continually. I'm going to extol Him. I'm going to magnify Him because He has delivered me. When God's people experience deliverance or salvation, they are instinctively led to praise the Lord. If you have difficulty in praising the Lord, if your heart is not moved to worship God ever, uh, perhaps you have not experienced salvation from the Lord. But for God's people, those who know what it means to be saved and delivered and protected, our hearts are led often to worship the Lord. Verses 1 through 3, David says, that's what I'm going to do. But then he's not content with, with just himself doing this. He says, I want other people to do that. And I think that's really the crux of this psalm. The, the psalm is written as an expression of David's praise to the Lord, but as an instruction for all of us that, that we would experience the same kind of salvation and deliverance from the Lord, and that therefore we would be led to worship God as well. David recognizes that God is so good that God has taken care of me in such a great way. I'm not content with just me worshiping God. I want others to know salvation and I want others to praise the Lord. And so verse three, he says, oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. That's what we're going to do this morning as we go through uh, this psalm. That's what I hope that we are led to do. Verses 4 through 7 then are David's personal testimony. This is what I'm praising the Lord for. This is what God has done for me. Those are verses 4 through 7. And there's, then verses 8 through 22 are just sort of random instructions given to seek the Lord and, and uh, the promise that He would deliver. Well, what is the main point? What is the thesis of, of this psalm? As we said uh, with poetic 
uh, writings, poetry, very often we don't get like what we get with, with Paul where he's very clear about this is my point and therefore this is true and therefore that is true. Sometimes we have to read, let the psalm soak in, we have to meditate on it and as we do that we begin, uh, a theme begins to emerge and this is what I think the theme of this psalm is. It is that the one who fears the Lord, the person who fears the Lord will be protected from and delivered out of everything else he might fear, he or she might fear. The person who has fear for the Lord is delivered from every other fear that he or she might have. Another way to put it, seek protection. If you seek protection and deliverance from all of your fears by fearing the Lord. Or as I have in the title in the bulletin, fear God and nothing else. If we fear the Lord, we have nothing else to fear. So where do I get this? This, this idea of fearing the Lord and by fearing the Lord, deliver, being delivered from all of our other fears. Where, where do I get that? Well, I think we see this in, in a couple of places. First of all, uh, verse 4. David says, I sought the Lord and he answered me and he delivered me from all my fears. This is the context. This is, this is what the psalm is all about. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. And so David's saying, this is what happened to me. I was delivered from my fears. And now the rest of the psalm is you can be delivered from your fears as well, from your troubles and from your trials. This is what God has promised in, in these verses. Verse, verse 7, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Verse 10, the young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack nothing. Verse 15, the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. In other words, he's there ready to deliver and save them. Verse 17, when the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers him. So we could read more, but there, this is over repeated over and over again. This is, this is a God that we worship that, that saves, that, that delivers. But how do we come to enjoy that protection? How do we come to be those uh, around whom the angel of the Lord encamps? How do we become those uh, whose who's uh, have the ear of the Lord or the eyes of the Lord upon us, ready to uh, protect us. Well, let's just compare for a second verse 4 and verse 7. He says, I sought the Lord and He answered, answered me and delivered me from all of my fears. Everything that I was afraid of, the Lord delivered me from all of those fears. But now look at verse 7. The Lord, the angel of the Lord, encamps around those who fear Him. Well, he just said, I, I've been delivered from all my fears, but now he says, there's one fear. And, and it looks to me like what he's saying, that this one fear, this fear of the Lord, is what puts God on our side, so to speak. It, it's what gives, gives us the ear of God and the eyes of God watching over us. It is when we fear the Lord, and because we fear the Lord, turn away from evil and turn to the Lord, then He will deliver us and save us and protect us from every other thing that we fear. Now, what I'm instructing us to do, and I think what this psalm is instructing us to do, and we can look, at, again, this theme comes up of fearing the Lord over and over again. So in verse 7, those who fear the Lord, the angel of the Lord encamps around him. Verse, uh, verse uh, 10, or verse 9 rather, Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. So, so there's a command for us to fear the Lord. And then again in verse 
11, Come, O children, and listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Do you fear the Lord? Uh, we, we hear that expression, and I think in modern day uh, sort of Christianity, evangelicalism, uh, I think the idea of fearing God is largely lost. It, it is gone. And yet what we see in Scripture really that the fear of the Lord is a central theme. It's a central idea, not only in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament as well. Listen to just a few of the verses that we find in Scripture that instruct us to fear the Lord. Proverbs 1.7, Proverbs is written, as we've been learning about in Sunday school, by, largely by Solomon. It's written to give us instruction and to give us wisdom. And listen what he says is the beginning of wisdom. Proverbs 1.7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So the beginning of knowledge or wisdom is, is to fear the Lord. How about Proverbs 29, 25? The fear of man lays a snare. So we should not fear man. We don't, we don't fear what man can do to us. The, that lays a snare, a trap for us to fall into. But whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. Or how about Ecclesiastes 12? The end of the matter, uh, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. You say, well, that's the Old Testament. We know, of course, uh, God is not different in the Old or New Testament, but sometimes we have that, that mindset. But what did Jesus himself say to us in Matthew chapter 10? He said, do not fear those who kill the body. So again, he's instructing us, don't fear man. We should not be afraid of what man can do to us. Don't fear those who can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him. That is, fear God. Fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. So God, so Christ if you were standing here today, is not different than the God of the Old Testament. His message is not different from the Old Testament message. If he were standing here today, he would be instructing us that we should fear God. You know, there are varying degrees and, and different kinds of fear, aren't there? Uh, fear is something that can range on, on one end all the way from the idea of just simply reverencing someone, as we might do with, with our father. To the other end of the, the spectrum of fear is, is this idea of terror and just being frightened by something. You, you reverence your father, uh, but you are in terror if a, you're doing battle against some great warrior, right? You're, you're afraid for your life. And so there's this, this whole spectrum of what fear is. There's different kinds of fear. And you know, the, the kind of fear that we have is determined by what is threatened, right? Uh, it, it depends. We don't. We don't we're not terrorized by our fathers, at least hopefully we have not been, uh, because we know that our fathers love us and though they might discipline us, they're, they're not going to do anything that would bring ultimate harm. Uh, but again, if we're fighting against some warrior, he's, he's seeking to destroy us. He's going to kill us. And so, so that sense of terror comes in. And we would ask, well, what kind of fear of the Lord should we have? And we're going to see that kind of depends on our relationship. But listen to this psalm. Listen to what is threaten uh, against those who do not fear the Lord. Listen to verse 16, and this would tell us what kind of fear we ought to have for the Lord. Uh, so verse 16, the face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. So what kind of fear 
of the Lord should we have? Well, if we are those who do evil, we should fear greatly. We should be on the end of that, that terrorize that the Lord will has threatened here to, to cut us off from, from the earth. Or how about verse 21? Affliction will slay the wicked and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. So there's a threat of judgment and ultimate kind of judgment, d- destruction for those who are evil, th- for those who are rebelling against God. So if that's you and you say, well, what kind of fear of the Lord should I have? Well, if you're a rebel against God, if you are unwilling to submit to him, if you're hardened in your sin, you ought to be terrorized by God because God will bring judgment. He will bring punishment. Again, listen to that passage in Ecclesiastes that instructs us that that the sum of everything that uh, that Solomon writes is, is this to fear God and keep his commandments. Why? Because God will bring every deed into judgment. We're going to stand and give an account. So we ought to fear that. And there's, there's a judgment and, and there's a condemnation that is that is out there. So we ought to fear the Lord in that sense. Or again, even the words of Jesus, don't fear the one that you can just kill your body. There's something greater than physical death. There is a spiritual death. Fear the one. That is, fear God. This is Jesus, our Lord and Savior speaking. Fear the one who has the power to destroy both body and soul in hell. And if that's true, and if God, and, and, and it is, this is the word of God. If God is coming in judgment, then we ought to fear God. And fear being one of those who are wicked. And one of those against whom his judgment is coming. That idea of terror can be there. But you know, the kind of fear that you have, again, on the one end of the spectrum, this this reverence, and on the other end of the spectrum, this, this terror, the kind of fear that you have for God, I think depends on, at least partially, depends on your relationship with him. Are you God's enemy? Or are you God's Child, I, I watched a television show with Bonnie, and uh, one of the characters in that show was was a drug dealer. He was a bad guy, uh, and sometimes you get the picture of a bad guy. This was this guy was ruthless, right? Uh, he had these people working for him, and he wanted to make sure that that his operation was a smooth operation. You can't have people stealing from you, or 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 people leaking information, and, and this guy would just have people killed right underneath him. But one of the things about this show was that they presented the other side of this man. He, he lived in sort of an upscale community. He sent his kids to, to private school and, and, and his kids would run around and play. He was dressed nicely. And you would never know, right, just by looking at him, uh, he looked like a, a successful businessman, a, a family man, and he loved his children. And so they kind of presented that angle of it as well. And, and so... Depending on how you knew that man, if you knew him in this sphere as the family man, the businessman, uh, it, it looked pretty good. Uh, you wouldn't really have reason to fear him, especially if you're his child, right? They show him raising his child and growing up. But if you're if you're somebody that's crossed him, then, then you ought to be very much afraid. That's kind of a bad example because that man was a wicked man, and, and God is not wicked. God is just, and He's good. So let's just imagine this. Imagine that there is a good king who rules over a kingdom and he is just and he's fair with his his subjects and he does what's right and he's successful. Uh, What what would you have? What kind of fear would you have of that king? Well, if you're a loyal subject, 
If you're, if you're a loyal subject who loves the king and who has not rebelled against him, well, then you would have reverence for him because he's the king. He has a position of authority. Uh, you might be afraid of, of even the thought of rebelling against him because you know that he would bring swift judgment. Uh, but if you were a rebel, if you were somebody that was trying to get something going and sort of rebel against this kingdom, overthrow his rule and his authority, then you would be terrorized by that kind of king, right? He's, he's just, he's got a great army. He's going to come and, and seek to destroy you, to defend his kingdom. So, so how you fear God, and I hope I'm making this clear, depends on your relationship. If you're his child then you reverence him because he's great and he's awesome. And so you have this reverence for him and you, you fear running away from him. You fear uh, getting to a place where you would come into judgment. But if you are a rebel against God, then you ought to be terrorized by him. God will bring judgment on those. And this is what this psalm is saying uh, in those verses that, that I read. Affliction will slay uh, the wicked. There is judgment that is coming. And so there is a fear that we ought to have for uh, the Lord. So how do we, we think about the fear of God depends on which category we belong to. If we're a rebel or a loyal subject. If we are a child or if we are God's enemy. So what does the fear of the Lord look like? He's instructing us here, fear the Lord. What does it mean to fear the Lord. Well, one person put it this way. To, to fear the Lord is to see God as so holy, awesome, and powerful that you would not dare run away from Him. To put it differently, to, to fear the Lord is to truly see God for who He is such that the thought of rebelling against Him terrorizes us. Again, I think in modern Christianity, we've lost that sense. We have so formulated God in, into our own image and into our own thinking that we think God would never bring judgment. God would never destroy us. God would never condemn anyone or punish them in, in any kind of harsh way. And, and friends, I'm just going to tell you, that's not what the Bible says. God is a God who will certainly bring judgment. And so we ought to fear the Lord such that we, we would never dream of running away from the Lord. We would never dream of doing anything that would, in, would, would bring upon us and, and that would cause us to incur the wrath and the judgment of God. Listen, the, the Bible teaches that those who don't have the fear of the Lord are, are fools. And what a foolish thing it is for us to become comfortable and callous in our sin. To act as if, well, just because nothing's happening right now, that means that nothing is going to happen, right? Right? Uh, sometimes my children, I have to teach them. They say, well, I've done this before. Nothing, uh, you know, I, I, I've survived. I, I haven't gotten hurt so far. And they say, well, you know, just because you've never, you've done this stupid thing four or five times in the past and it hasn't resulted badly, that doesn't mean that it, it won't in the future. That's the way that we get in our sins sometimes. Sometimes we, we feel comfortable because God has not zapped us immediately. And because God has given us time to repent and time to turn, we say, well, well, God must be okay with this. Things are going smoothly. Things are going well. But listen, don't become comfortable in your sin. To, to fear the Lord rightly is to understand how great and how awesome and how holy He is so that you would not dare want to run away or do anything that would bring about his judgment. This is why 
the fear of the Lord oftentimes in, in the Bible is, is just equated straight up with, with the idea of turning away from evil. So listen to a few verses. Listen to Proverbs chapter 8, verse 13. The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. Or what we read in Ecclesiastes 12, verse 13. The end of the matter has been heard. Fear God and keep His commandments. To fear the Lord is to keep His commandments. Or Job 28, 28. Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to turn away from evil is understanding. Or Proverbs 14, 27. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. The one, that one may turn away from the snares of death. And then one more, Proverbs 3, 7. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. There are some of you who have no fear of the Lord. And you're comfortable in your sin. And you're going week after week, day after day, month after month. Comfortable in your sin, feeling that you will just be fine. Because nothing has occurred yet. And you need to fear the Lord. There is a judgment that is coming think of the the passage in second thessalonians that talk about talks about christ's return and the fact that he will come in flaming fire taking vengeance on those who do not obey the gospel so we are to fear the lord do you fear the lord but that's only one part of it to, to turn away from evil is one aspect of this fear of the lord but there's also the second aspect sort of the positive aspect with that we turn to the lord David is telling us both to fear Him and to seek Him. Isn't that interesting? Sometimes we think, well, if I fear someone, I want to get away from it. I want to, I want to distance myself from Him. But the fear that we're called to from the Lord is a fear that, wants us, uh, that causes us to want to distance ourselves from sin and to draw near to the Lord. The Lord is near the brokenhearted. He delivers. He rescues. He saves. He, his ear is open to the righteous. So this fear of the Lord is not a fear that says, Get away from me. I want to stay away from you. It's a fear that says, I don't want to do anything that would bring God's wrath and His power against me. I want to draw near to the Lord. It's an awe and a reverence even for His goodness. Part of, part of the reason that we fear Him is, yes, the judgment and the condemnation and His great power and His might, but we also have this reverence for His goodness and His mercy. When you see God, it, it want, makes you want to draw near to Him because you have this reverence for him. So seek him. Look at look at in the psalm again at verse four. I sought the Lord. He tells us to seek the Lord. Verse verse five, those who look to him are radiant. Verse six, those who cry out to him. Verse eight says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Verse 10 says to seek the Lord. Verses 15 and verse 17 say, Cry out to him, cry out to the Lord. And verse 22 says to take refuge in the Lord. So this fear of the Lord is not something that drives us away from the Lord, but it is a reverence for Him that draws us to Him. If we fear God, we not only turn away from the things that He hates, but we also seek Him because we see Him as good. God is good and He is just so that when we fear Him rightly, we don't run away from Him, but we run to Him. And now... I think what we see here in this psalm and, and sort of the main point of this psalm is that it is through fearing the Lord, through, through so reverencing Him, so being terrorized by the thought of His judgment that we run away from sin and run to, to Him. It is through that fear that we're delivered 
from everything else that we fear. When we fear the Lord and we run away from evil, we run away from wickedness and we run to Him, God puts Himself on our side, so to speak. He shelters us. He's the angel of the Lord who encamps around us. If you so fear God that you turn away from evil and turn to Him, He will protect you and deliver you from everything else that you fear. So think about some of the things that we fear. And I'm not talking about here, uh, you can go online and look at some of the list of the phobias that people have. And, and the list is a mile long. People are afraid of everything. Uh, but, but I'm not talking so much just about those phobias, spiders or snakes or bugs or whatever, whatever else we fear. There are some very real things that most of us struggle with and that most of us fear. And this psalm, I think, speaks to those. Do you fear that someone will bring you harm? Well, listen to verse 7. And this, this psalm is really a treasure trove of God's promises for those who fear Him and those who love Him. Listen to verse 7. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear Him and He delivers them. Listen, you have nothing to fear. If, if you are, are on the side of the Lord, if you fear the Lord, and if, if you run away from evil and run to the Lord, then God is going to encamp around you. The angel of the Lord, there's some discussion whether that is a, an angel or if that was the Lord in, in bodily form. But, but either way, what it's speaking to is the fact that God puts His protection around you. If you fear Him so that you, so that you run to Him and you seek Him, He will protect you from everything Else, I, I remember the, the story from the Old Testament in, in the book of, of Numbers of, of Balaam, who was a prophet that was hired uh, by the Moabites to curse the people of Israel. And as he's on his way to go about this business, he's being paid to go and, and curse the nation of Israel so the Moabites would be able to defeat them in, in battle. The angel of the Lord stands in the roadway. And at first... Uh, the angel of the Lord doesn't reveal himself to Balaam. He only reveals himself to Balaam's donkey. So Balaam's donkey stops and goes off into the field. And, and Balaam, it's kind of a funny story. Balaam begins to whip his donkey and beat the donkey. He said, get back on the road. What are you doing? And then eventually the eyes of Balaam are open and he sees the angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord was protecting his people Israel. And the angel of the Lord is protecting you. If you are one who fears the Lord, if you're the one who is seeking refuge in God, running away from evil, running away from wickedness, and running to the Lord, the angel of the Lord is protecting you. He's watching over you. So you have nothing to fear. There's nothing that come, can come to, into your life to do you harm that God is not aware of and that God is not able to protect you from or deliver you out of. Do you fear that you will not be provided for? Some of us have that fear. We worry about jobs. We worry about money. We worry about, uh, will we have enough to do this? Will we be able to do that? What if the economy turns? What if, what if we lose our job? And we fear those things. But listen to what he says. Oh, fear the Lord, you His saints. So, so fear Him and be His saints. For, for those who fear Him have no lack. So don't fear having lack. Don't fear not having enough. Don't fear not being provided for. Instead, fear the Lord. And when you fear Him, those who fear Him have no lack. The young lions suffer, suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good 
thing. What he's saying here, the lion is just a picture of, of power and might. The, the lion is the person that just goes out and takes what he wants, right? He's a predator. He goes and he gets what he wants. But even lions, even those who are self-determined, even those who are powerful in this world, from time to time find themselves in positions of lacking and having want and not being able to provide. He says even lions suffer want and, and hunger. But the one who fears the Lord lacks no good thing. You say, well, I've, I've lacked some things in my life. Well, listen, if, if God, if you're one who fears the Lord, you will lack no good thing. So if there's something that you want, that you say, I, I, I don't have, uh, then, then it is not good for you at that moment. He promises here that those who seek the Lord, those who fear Him will lack no good thing. There are some times that God uh, allows us to experience uh, being deprived of certain things, but it's always for our good. This is what Jesus taught as well in Matthew 6. He said, don't be anxious about anything. What you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to wear. Don't, don't worry about those things. The, the, the pagans worry about that. Gentiles worry about all those things. But he says, seek first the kingdom of God. Fear God. Seek the Lord. And all of these things will be added to you. So if we make God our, our preeminent focus and we fear, about, we fear Him and we, we make our, our number one desire to please Him and to live for Him, then He'll take care of everything else. Do you fear being alone and being in need of, of help? Does it ever feel to you like, like no one cares about your problems and, and the things that you struggle with? Does it seem like when you're struggling, uh, so often you're in it alone? Does it feel like you need people, when you need people the most, that's when they disappoint you the most? Do you fear being alone and being in need of help? But listen to verse Verses 15 through 17. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and His ears are toward their cry. When you cry out to the Lord, His, his ears are tuned into that. He's, he's listening. Everybody else may forsake you. No one else may be around when you really need them. Your children, even the people you think, my family members, the ones that ought to love me, they, they kind of leave me high and dry. And here I am alone and I'm in need but God is there. His eyes are on you. His ear is open to your cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. But when the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all of their troubles. The Lord will hear your cry. Do you fear being brokenhearted? Some of you are brokenhearted. Some of you have experienced great loss. You've lost children or spouses or friends that are, are close to you. There are a myriad of things that we struggle with in this life that, that bring about sort of a depression or a sadness or a broken heartedness. So many of us have gone through those. But listen to what verse 18 says. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Are you crushed in spirit? Are you brokenhearted? The Lord is near to you. And He will deliver you out of that. He will, he will save you. You know, sometimes the worst part of experiencing these things is that sometimes you just feel alone. There's people all around you. There are people at church. There are people uh, where you work. There are people all around. And yet you feel alone because there, there's no one that really shares what you've gone through. 
And, and even people that are sympathetic that might say a kind word to you, they, they really don't know exactly what you're going through. But the Lord knows and the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and He saves those who are crushed in spirit. Do you fear that you'll be overcome by the trials of, of life? Sometimes trials just come on us. Some people just seem to skate through this life really easily. And for others, it's just like a wave. One after another. And, and sometimes it's for a season of life. And, and other times there's just lives in which it just seems like that happens all the time. One trial, one suffering, one persecution, one thing after the next. Over and over again, like, like waves come upon us. Do you fear that you'll be overcome by those trials? You think, well, I've made it through this one, but I'm not sure that I'll make, I'll make it through the next one. I don't think I can handle another loss. I don't think I can handle any other bad news. Listen to what this psalm says. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. All the afflictions. He saves us. He delivers this from them all. There's not going to come one more affliction, one more trial, one more bad thing into your life. That, that's going to be it. I'm done. I'm, I'm over this. I'm, uh, the waves have come over my head and, and I'm just drowning now. And I'm, and I'm done. I'm, I'm crushed. No, that will not happen. Though, though the afflictions of the righteous are many, and they are many. We looked at, at First Peter, right? The, the life of the Christian is a life of suffering. And yet the Lord will deliver us out of all of the trials that we go, go through. Do you, do you fear death? You know, I was thinking this week, I think sometimes I started to say this, but then I wasn't sure that this was exactly true. But I'll say it this way. Many of our fears are rooted in the fear of death. If we were to kind of brush everything away, ultimately underneath that fear, whatever it is up here, is the fear of death. Certainly there may be some fears that are not related to death, but I think many of them are, are simply the fear of death. It is our, our greatest enemy. It is the enemy that all of us face. No matter how, how great our life is or how poor our life is, no matter how rich we are or no matter how poor we are, Death is the great equalizer. It comes for all of us. Do you fear death? Many people do. We try not to think about it. Uh, and, and yet we do fear death. But listen to what verse 22 says. The Lord redeems the life of His servants. The Lord redeems the life of His servants. We have the promise of the resurrection through Jesus Christ. And we will not be defeated even by death. Do you fear that perhaps your sin is too great? You say, I, I, I know there's forgiveness promised and I know, uh, I know that, uh, that, that God is gracious and kind and that Christ died, but, but perhaps my sin is too much. Sometimes I feel overwhelmed and I just have this fear that, that, that maybe I've gone too far. Maybe God's grace cannot reach as deep down as I am in this sin. But listen to what he says. None of those who take refuge in Him will be condemned. No one who takes refuge in the Lord through Jesus Christ will be condemned. There's no fear of condemnation. That's why I asked Jared this morning to read that chapter in Romans, Romans chapter 8. And one of the verses in that, that passage that he says, what, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? 
This is the theme of this, this psalm. Fear God, because if God is for you, if He's your refuge, if He's the, the angel protecting you round about you, if He's the one who's listening to your cry, if He's the one whose eyes are upon you, if He is for you, then what can be against you? There's nothing else to fear. Fear God and fear nothing else. When we fear God, we're delivered from everything else that we fear. Listen to another psalm. Psalm 27, verse 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the one that's saving me. The Lord is the one that's going to redeem me. It is the Lord. All of His power, all of His might, all of His wisdom is at work in redeeming and saving me. He is my light and my salvation. Whom then shall I fear? Is there anything that we can fear? When God is on our side, the Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing I have asked of the Lord, that, I, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Or how about Psalm 118? The Lord is on my side. I will not fear what man can do to me. Or Psalm 91, because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague come near your tent. Or Proverbs 29, 25, the fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. Listen, when you're afraid of everything out there, it's just a trap that you fall into. You're worried about this and you're worried about that and it keeps you from doing the things that you ought to do. But just trust the Lord and the one who trusts the Lord will be protected, will be saved, will be delivered from everything else. We come to experience this protection most fully in Jesus Christ. It is through faith in Him that we're placed in the one who Isaiah says in Isaiah 11 verses 1 through 3, who delighted in the fear of the Lord. You see, he was the one who always obeyed the Lord. He was the one who always ran away from what was evil and what was wicked and ran to the Lord for protection. And we are treated as if we've always done that, just like Christ, by believing and trusting in Christ. Do you want the Lord on your side? Do you want to live in a life of fear? David here faced death. He faced destruction. And he came out of that. As fearful of a thing as that might be. And he didn't say, fear your enemy. Make sure you, you're really good. Make sure you have a really good strategy uh, to protect yourself. He didn't say any of that. He said, don't fear any of this stuff. Fear the Lord. And when you fear the Lord, you can have no fear of anything else. Will you pray with me this morning? Our Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning and we are grateful.